Well, welcome this weekend. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's so great to see you here. And if you would grab your Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to get there in just a minute. Philippians chapter 4. I want to welcome all of those of you that are watching us online and also those of you that are at the West Campus. It's great to see you here today. And um, we are talking about peace this weekend. And I just felt like this would be fitting in light of the 9-11 and the entire weekend that's happening uh, to talk about the peace that can only come from God. You know, the, the word peace is found over 80 times in Scripture, and it's one of the only words that's found every, in every single book of the New Testament, all 39 books of the New Testament. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So he tells this to the disciples. This command is given throughout scripture. This command is given by Jesus Christ himself. And we've heard this and we hear this and we read this in scripture. But how do you get that kind of peace? So glad you asked that question. Because that's what I want to talk about tonight. Peace defined, peace in the Old Testament, is simply a word, it's a Hebrew word called shalom. And the word shalom means this, to be in right relationship with God and with others. To be in right relationship with God and others. To be whole, to be, to be a sense of well order and well-being, to, to be in right relationship. And it's very interesting to me that, that this word shalom, this Hebrew word, which is pervasive in the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, gives us this word picture of the word cross, which is to be in right relationship with God, which is the vertical beam, and to be in right relationship with, with our fellow man, which is the horizontal beam. And if you just have right relationship with man... You miss it. And if you just had this right relationship with God, how many of you know that we don't all live in church on the weekend? That'd be great, but we don't. And so we have to get along with other people. I know that's horrible news for some of you, but it's reality, right? And so how do we do that? How do we practice that? Well, peace is not the absence or the avoidance of problems. Uh, Peace is not the absence or the avoidance of conflict. Many times, unresolved conflict or unresolved problems is actually the root of a failing relationship. Um, And sometimes making other people happy at your own expense is really a loss and creates no peace in your life. So just because there's no conflict, just because there's no uh, uh, visible problem doesn't mean you have peace. It may just mean that somebody's biting their lip, right? It may just mean that somebody's just taking it on the chin. It may just mean that somebody is absorbing it and they're going to explode on someone or somewhere else later on down the road. That's not peace. That's just kind of sucking it up and not saying anything. And, 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 and as a Christ followers, we don't have this absence of peace in our life where there's no conflict. No, no, no. We've been talking about that for the last two weekends, that we're in a war. Ephesians chapter 6 says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, though, but against principalities and rulers of darkness and, and everything that exalts itself for the power and name of the glory of God. That there is a war. There's a conflict that, that we actually enter into when we become Christ followers. So How? <laughs> How, pray tell, do I enter into a conflict and have this peace? How can I have this peace that Jesus talks about in John chapter 14? That how can I have this peace that the world doesn't give, but yet it's not absent of conflict and not absent of problems? How do I get that? It seems like a, a paradox, like an oxymoron, like, like a seeming set of contradictions. It just, does, just doesn't make sense. Well, Paul explains this concept of peace in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 2 through 9. So if you have your Bibles, open it up, and we're going to read it. If you don't, it'll be on the screen as we, as we read along. And uh, starting in verse 2, 
Paul says, Now I appeal to Judea and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. I wish that would have been like Debbie and Judy, but it wasn't, so that's whatever. <laughs> Verse 3, I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women. <laughs> Sorry, ladies, I didn't write it. For they worked hard with me in telling others the good news, and they've worked alongside Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm glad they're written in the Book of Life and not in this chapter. <laughs> Verse 4, always be full of joy in the Lord. And again, say rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember that the Lord's coming is soon, so don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. That sounds real spiritual. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand or passes all understanding. And pray about everything and tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He's done. You'll experience peace. His peace will guard your hearts and, his, and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and that are worthy of praise. And keep putting into practice all that you've learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the peace of God will be with you. Now, just to break down that passage, the first thing he says is that it talks about peace with one another. How to have peace with one another. This is external peace. Uh, verses 2 and verse 3, he says, Now I appeal to Judea and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask, that my true, uh, I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women. They've worked with me in telling the good news in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and they've been co-workers who names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Please help them to get along. He, he describes this, 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 this thing that's going on. Now, this is the only place in Scripture you're going to find these two ladies' names. So you can look and commentate and exegete all you want, because uh, I've been trying to. You're not going to find their name anywhere else in Scripture. It's just here. And, and we can only kind of deduct that these were two individuals who were heavily involved in, in, the, establishment, in the establishment of the church in, here in, um, in uh, uh, Philippi. And, uh, and that they were, they were co-laborers and they were involved in, in the work of the gospel. But even inside all of that, they've kind of gotten cross with each other. Which lets us know that just because you go to church doesn't mean everything's always perfect. Just because you go to church, everybody doesn't get, get along. Some of you are going, really? I'm writing that down. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, just stay a little bit, right? Because it just, it just happens. And, and, and it, listen, if it happened in the New Testament, it's going to happen at Life Church. And it may not be two ladies that don't get along. It may be two men. It may be two men and two women. I don't know. But, but it's just something happens. And, 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 and there's this disunity. There, there's this issue. Paul says to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if it's possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. That's how much he puts this let's get along thing, this unity thing. As, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Why? Because here's what, here's what Paul knows. That if you cannot get along with people, you're never going to advance the cause of the kingdom. If you can't get along with people, you're never going to have the peace that God wants you to have. If we as a church of Jesus Christ can't get along with ourselves, we're never going to reach a lost and dying world. This isn't going to happen. 
And the reality is, is that many times the enemy of your soul and my soul wants us to fight with each other and, has this, and have this unity. And so thus we lose the peace in the church. Thus we lose peace in our own Christ followership. Thus we have problems here. And people are just like, peace out, Girl Scout. I don't want what you have. You people can't even get along with one another. I don't care about this man named Jesus. Mm, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. So how do we do this? Well, Paul talks about it right here. How we get along with people. He gives us keys. First thing is don't take sides. Don't take sides. He didn't take sides with Judea or with Syntyche. He didn't take sides with either one of these ladies. He just simply said, let's look for resolution. Let's just try to find peace. Let's just try to find common ground. Notice Paul didn't do it himself. He sent somebody else to do it. That's wisdom, folks. Mm. Two ladies are mad in the church. I'm going to send Pastor Ryan. It's not me. You know what I'm saying? The reality is, is let's, let's don't take sides. Well, girl, I just got off the phone with Shirley. and he, She was telling me about what Margaret did and said to her, and I cannot believe that. And can you believe what Fred said the other day? I can't believe that. You really think that? And can you believe it? I just can't believe this and whatever. And I heard so-and-so got mad. They went to the West Campus, and now they're not coming back to the Germantown Campus. I heard they're so mad. They're going to go to the Internet Campus now. You know, I, <laughs> don't take sides. Just don't take sides. If someone approaches you and they've got an issue with someone, just say, let's work this out. Why? Because Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace. It's biblical. Let's just try the Bible. If it doesn't work, we'll try something else. Second thing he says is don't power up. Notice Paul's writing this, and he doesn't like just slam these two ladies and just go, can you just stink and get along for the love of everything? And, and you sure, I mean, you know, he's writing this book and he's in prison. He's got big problems. He doesn't need to be messing with Utica and Syntyche. You know how long it takes to write that out when you're, jet, when you're right? I mean, think about it. At the end of the day, it's just like, but he doesn't power up on them. He goes, these are wonderful women. They've been used greatly by God. They've helped proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Can somebody help me, please? That's what he basically says. Don't power up. Do you know who I am? Do you know? Do you know? You know how long I've been going to this church? You know how long I've been serving God? You know how much money I've given? Do you know? I want to talk to so-and-so. I deserve to say, I got to just take it down. I love the story of the governor of the state of uh, Georgia who was uh, going to a, a school that was... Uh, uh, being celebrated, and he was asked to come as a speaker, and so they invited him to stay for the school lunch, and so uh, it's all part of this program, and he goes to the lunch cafeteria line, and in doing so, uh, there's one of the sweet ladies behind the, on the other side of the cafeteria line, and, and they're, they're dull, she, has, she does the mashed potatoes, and, and he looks at her and says, ma'am, could I please have some extra mashed potatoes, and, and she says, no, you may not, and he just smiles because cameras and everything's around. And ma'am, I um, uh, uh, just just like a few extra. They're really great, and I've heard that you have the best. And and she said, "No, sir, you may not." And he leans over and he says, "Ma'am, do you know who I am? I'm the governor of the state of Georgia. Can I please have some mashed potatoes?" And she said, "Sir, do you know who I am? I'm the lady who controls the mashed potatoes." <laughs> and no, you may not. See, sometimes we think if we power up, we're going to get something. Just power your bad self down. And then wisdom. If you cannot find resolution, use a peacemaker. Have a third party. 
have someone who has no dog in the fight and who has no side, and they simply come in to help arbitrate that discussion. Whether you know of a situation that needs that or whether you need that, find peace with one another. Now, the second thing he talks about in verses 4, six, uh, four 5, 6, and 7 is how to have peace with yourself. How to have peace internally. How to have peace personally. He says in verse 4, always be full of the joy of the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember that the Lord is coming soon. So don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything and tell God what you need and thank him and all that he's done. And he, and so that you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He tells us exactly in that passage how to have peace internally. Remember, Paul's writing these words from a prison cell. He's not writing these words from a Ritz-Carlton that overlooks the ocean. He's not writing these words from an intercontinental somewhere in Sicily. He's writing these words from a prison cell. And it's an equation that I just extrapolated from, from what he said. Matthew 6, and 34, plus 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, equals Philippians 4, 7. I'm going to give you a minute to write that down if you want to write that down. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 through 34, plus 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, equals Philippians 4, 7, equals peace that passes all understanding. Now, for those of you that need, may need a little help right now, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 and 34 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself, for each day has its own trouble. So the first thing he tells us to do is don't worry. Give, you've given me the power to save you from hell. You've given me the power in your life, Jesus says, to, to, to take care of eternity. Trust me with today. And don't even worry about tomorrow and forget about yesterday because yesterday has already happened and there's nothing you can do about it. Tomorrow has not yet come. You only live today, so trust me with today. Put your anxiety on me today. Put your fears on me today. Put your concerns on me today. Trust me today. Don't worry. And if you really get into it, and I don't have time, but if you really study that latter part of Matthew chapter 6, but when you, but when you really get into it, all these things, he's talking about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, where you're going to live. That's just most of what we are concerned about. We're concerned about our job. We're concerned about our kids. We're concerned about our house. We're concerned about being able to provide food. We're concerned about clothing. And the Bible says in that passage that God is taking care of all of this, that, that, that the lilies of the field that are here today and gone tomorrow, they're, more, they're clothed more beautifully than all of Solomon's raiment was. God will take care of you. Never seen the righteous forsaken nor seed begging bread. And any time as a Christ follower where we find ourselves worrying about what we're going to eat, where we're going to live, or what we're going to wear, the necessities of life, we are, trying, we are taking it from God's hands and putting it into our hands. We are doing exactly the opposite of what the Bible says we should do. Well, what happens, Aaron, when there's concerns? What happens when, when problems arise? What happens? I'm so glad you asked. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast every care, everything that, every, every worry, every fear, every fret, everything that's going on, cast it on him because he cares for you. 
Folks, I'm just telling you, we, our human bodies are not designed to live with worry and with fret and with anxiety and with, and with this stress that we live in. And what happens is, is that when we take that stuff on us from the office, when we take that stuff on us from relationships, when we begin to bring that on us, we're doing exactly the opposite of what the Bible says. And then we go, why do I not have peace in Jesus? Because you're not following the Bible. Why do I can't get any rest? Because you're not following the Scripture. Why is this happening in my life? Because. Listen, every single person deals with a certain amount of stress, anxiety, worry, and fear. We do. You get a bad report from the doctor. The worst report is when there's something wrong, we just don't know, let's do some tests. Then that mess with your mind? Oh, yeah, come on. I need to go get some, get some Ambien and sleep through the night. I mean, it just messes with your mind. Or, or, or there's just something happening with one of your kids, and you have no control, and you can't really do anything to help them. Or you have someone who's sick in your family and you see them just deteriorating away and there's just questions and there's, and there's feelings and there's all this that goes on. They, 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 you know, they're, they're starting to give pink clips at, at your work and, and you, there's rumors that the company could shut down or they may send the jobs offshore and what are you going to do and what's going to happen? And you got a kid in junior high and you got a kid in high school and they're wanting to go to, to this college and how am I going to pay? And, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Put him first in your life. And then take, plus take all your cares and your anxieties and cast them upon him. And when you do that, verse 7 of Philippians chapter 4, the peace of God that passes all understanding will rule your heart. You want to have peace with yourself? Give it to him. Horatio Gates Spafford uh, was a very successful businessman in the late 1800s in Chicago. And in 1871, uh, you know, there was the famed Chicago fire. And there were 300 people that died. There were 100,000 people that were left homeless. And he became a hero out of this, this destruction. Uh, even though he lost a lot of real estate uh, to the, in the fire, he lost a son. Uh, he decided that he was going to, because he was a Christ follower, he was going to operate with generosity. He was going to give it to God. And so he began to help many, many people who were homeless to find shelter and help rebuild the city. He was also a really great friend of the great evangelist D.L. Moody, who Moody Bible Institute, which is right down just a couple of blocks off Michigan Avenue, um, just right there in downtown Chicago, that, that great institute that was named after him. D.L. Moody uh, was, uh, was going to England uh, to do a series of crusades and evangelistic events. And so it was 1873, and uh, Horatio decided to take his wife uh, and Anne and his uh four daughters, and to, to go and to, to be there at part of the crusade and then to travel Europe with his family. And, um, and so right before they got ready to set sail and to leave, he had some business that held him back. And so his wife, Anna, said, hey, I'll, I'll go ahead and take the kids. I'll take the girls, and we'll just meet you there and catch up. And so he agreed to this. And, um, and so the decision was made for that to happen. Tragedy struck on that trip with Anna and the four girls and just uh, miles off the Newfoundland coast, the ship that they were in collided with a, an English sailing vessel, and it went down in 20 minutes. There were 47 survivors. Anna was one of those survivors. There were 226 that were dead, and all four of his daughters died. And once Anna makes shore, she sends a telegram, saved alone. Horatio immediately wrapped up his business, grief struck, and he set sail for England 
to be able to be with his wife and to take care of the situations. And as the ship was traveling across the, the waters at the approximate location where his daughters had drowned just weeks before, he penned the words that we just sang a few minutes ago. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You want to have peace? Seek first the kingdom of God. You want to have peace? Cast your anxiety on him because he's the only one that can do anything about it anyhow. You want to have peace? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. I understand it's easier said than done, but it is possible. That's how we have peace internally. And the last thing that, that he says is how to have peace with God, how to have peace eternally. How do we have peace with eternity? Because there's, there's this wrestling thing inside of us that says, what am I created for? And what am I made for? And why am I on this planet? Is, is there really a God? Is there really a heaven? Is there really a hell? Verse 8 and verse 9 says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And keep putting into practice you underline in your Bible, that'd be a great word to underline or circle or highlight. Put into practice, practice, all that you've learned and all that you received from me. Everything you have heard from me and saw me doing, then the peace of God will be with you. He gives us these eight filters. He says, in your thought life, in your thinking, in how you do life, go through this as an honorable, respectable, is it right? We all have an innate sense of right and wrong. Is it pure, stainless, without blemish? Is it lovely, beautiful, whole, like that of a child, innocent? Is it admirable, something to aim for, something that's noble? Is it excellent, which means it's, 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 it's got a perfection to it? Is it worthy of praise? And oh yes, the very first thing he says, is it truth? We know the only truth on this planet is Jesus Christ. We know that, that God sent his only son to, to die for you and for me, that without, him we'd have that without him we would perish, but that through him we'd have everlasting life. For God sent not his son to the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. That's truth. The truth is, is that God loves you. The truth is that God has a plan for your life. The truth is, is that God didn't take you this far to leave you. The truth is his word. And we know John chapter 1, verse 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. That Jesus Christ is the living Word of God. He's truth. And if we're ever going to have peace with God, we have to ask ourselves in and of our lives, make our own checklist. Am I living my life according to the truth, according to God's Word, according to His Son, Jesus Christ? If I'm a Christ follower, I'm asking myself, do I think of myself in terms of how the Bible views me? Or do I view myself in a negative fashion or, or, or in a less than way? Because sometimes what hurts us as Christ followers, it's our stinking thinking. It's the fact that, that, that we don't really see ourselves the way God sees us. And, and we have all these excuses and we have all these things. But, but that's not what he says. He says, is it truth? When you say, man, I'm a loser. When you say, man, I'm never going to make it. 
man, I, I just, I can't do this. Is that the truth? No, because God's word says that you're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. God's word says that you'll overcome by what Jesus Christ did and by the word of your testimony. The Bible says that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. That's truth. What you're saying, what you're regurgitating up is a lie. Is, 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 are my thoughts, are they, are they honorable? Are they respectable? Are my thoughts right? Uh, are, 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 they, are they pure without, without blemish? Are they lovely? Are they, are, are they excellent? Are they praiseworthy? Are they admirable? Are they something to, to shoot for? And you go, well, that sounds like positive thinking. To some degree, yes, but it's all predicated not upon your abilities, but upon his ability. Not upon your word, but upon his word. Why? Why does it have to be that way? Because the battle for peace is won and lost in the mind. And we have to change our thinking before we can change our reality. That's why verse 9, he uses the word practice. When you practice these things, when you practice thinking and focusing on what's true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and worthy of praise, when you put that into practice, then peace will come into your life. When your mindset has those things, then peace will come into your life. When you have so practiced those things that you've created a reflexive muscle memory that just automatically goes to that, then you'll have peace. It's not about sitting in church for X number of weeks. It's not about, about doing X number of right things. It's not about so many sinless days. It's about am I practicing? 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 Am I practicing on my thinking? Am I practicing on my attitude? Am I practicing on these things? Am I putting the word of God into practice? Am I reading the word and evaluating my life and then putting it into practice? Reading the word, evaluating my life, and putting it into practice. When I read the word, I evaluate my life, I make the tweaks, I put it into practice. It's the same thing you do in a successful business. It's the same thing you do in a successful marriage. It's the same thing you do with a successful golf game. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. When you take the truth, you apply it to your life, and you make the changes, you create this positive muscle memory so that every time you approach the, that situation, you know how to handle it because it becomes reflexive in your mind because your mind begins to think on what's true and what's noble and what's pure and, and what's lovely and what's excellent and what's worthy of praise. And all of a sudden, when anything comes through that filter because it's so reflexive in your life that you just kick it out automatically because it doesn't make sense because it doesn't jive. It, it, it just doesn't connect. And you're not living in a bubble. You're living in a real world, but you have set your mind in such a way that that becomes automatic. And the only way you can do that is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because some of you, I can see it on your face. You're thinking to yourself, man, my life isn't pure. My life isn't lovely. My life isn't right or honorable or admirable. My life is none of those things. How do I get that? I'm so glad you asked. It only comes from God. And it comes from accepting a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. Because that's his truth. And so this weekend... How I want to end today is just simply by this. It's just to ask you to evaluate your own self and to say, man, am I in a right relationship with God? Am I at peace with God? Do I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you to believe in church. I'm not asking you to believe in, in Jesus or, or, or Mary, the mother of Jesus. I'm not asking you, were you baptized as a child or christened or dedicated? I'm asking you, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, what do you mean by that? Well, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is who the Bible says that he is, that you will be saved. It all comes with what Paul says right there. When you begin to practice the mindset of truth. 
There's no other name under heaven by which man can be saved except through the name of Jesus. That's pretty narrow, Aaron. Especially on a weekend like this where, you know, I mean, what about tolerance? I didn't write it. Jesus said of himself that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man gets to the Father through the Son. So you're telling me there's no other road to God? I'm telling you, according to Scripture, there is no other option. It's his way or your way. I'm telling you that he is the way, the truth, and life. Not me, but he is. And that anything else is a sham, is a fabrication of that. Well, that's pretty, that's pretty hardcore. That's what the Bible says. Don't, make, don't get mad at me, get mad at God. But it is the truth. And when the truth of Jesus Christ enters into a relationship in your heart, it sets you free. And it gives you peace That word in verse 7 says it passes all understanding, which means in the original language, it exceeds any mental capability you have to even get in your mind around it. That's how great it is. So you can go on and you can keep struggling and scraping and trying to spin your wheel and make your deals and see how it all works out. Or you can come to the end of yourself and say, God, you are true and holy and righteous and lovely, and admirable, and honorable, and excellent, and only you are worthy of praise, and I give my life to you. And in that moment, peace enters into your heart, into your life. When you confess with your mouth, and you believe in your heart. Not about being a member of church, not about going to church, not about even liking the pastor. Be easy on that. But a relationship with him. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me today? If you're here today and you say, man, Aaron, that's where I'm at. That's exactly where I'm at. I have no peace because I have no personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you've tried the church thing. Maybe you've tried the this and that. But you just say, man, today, that's what I want to do. I want to give my life to Jesus. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you, not now, but I'm going to ask you in just a second to lift up your hand and just signify, that's me, man. Would you pray for me? And then what I'm going to ask you to do is put your hand down, and then we're going to pray a prayer together, all of us. And if you believe the prayer that you pray, according to Scripture, you are saved, period. Now, the journey just begins, but you are saved. You are in right relationship. And according to Scripture, and I'm speaking this in faith, the peace of God that passes all understanding is going to invade your heart and fill you with such overflowing peace and joy Because your sins have been washed away. Because the only one that has the ability to take your sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west, to forget them and remember them no more, is God. And if that's what you want today, you're not responding to me, you're responding to him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want you to slip your hand up and say, Aaron, that's me. Would you pray for me today? Thanks. 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 Just up and back down. Thanks. Anyone else? That's where you're at. Thanks. Anybody else? I'm not going to embarrass you. No one belabor. I just want to give you an opportunity. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray this prayer together. And if you believe what you're about to pray, Jesus Christ will come in your heart and into your life and be your personal Lord and Savior. Those of you that are watching online, if you pray this prayer today, Jesus Christ is going to come into your heart and into your your life. At the West Campus, it's going to happen the exact same way. I'm going to ask everyone in this room to pray this prayer with me and to lend their voice with those that are praying this prayer for the very first time. 
Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart, to come into my life, and to be my Lord and my Savior. I am a sinner, and I know that you, Jesus, are God's salvation. I ask you to come into my life, set me free from my sins, let me be in right relationship with you, and let your peace that passes all understanding fill my heart today as you wash away my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we the Lord praise just for those people that made that decision?